Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. My name is Sean. Uh, I am one of the pastors here. I was thinking about this this week. I, um, uh, we're in our God at Work series. We're in the sixth week of our God at Work series. And I said that one other time about six years ago. It was the very first time I ever preached here. At, uh, at this church in our God at Work series. I was thinking about that. Um, uh, anyway, well, we're, still, we're still in the sixth week. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, boy, I don't know, you know, if you're, if you're new here, one of the things that you're going to see demonstrated, we've actually already talked about it this morning, is that we, uh, one of the ways that we see the church is primarily as family. That means you're going to see people do all sorts of different things to contribute to the life of what happens here both on a Sunday and the gathering, but also all, all throughout the week, um, the idea of loving one another and being, be, being together. Um, you know, that's, that's all sorts of stuff, right? There's a lot of things that take to put this whole thing on, from the kids to prayer to the sound to, you know, all of the things. And uh, to, to, to that end, um, you know, we also have, like as James mentioned, different people preach on, 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 on Sundays. To that end, we believe the steady diet of teaching is to be brought from the elders of the church, the, the primary pastors of the church. But we also recognize gifts given to the people in our church, and we see the kingdom and the work of the kingdom as a place where, as John Wimber once said, everyone gets to play. I like the fact that we're in a gym. Everyone gets to, everyone gets to play in a, in a gym. John Mark, who uh, is a member in our church and helps to lead one of our life groups, did an amazing job last week teaching us. Thank you. Jam, you did a, a great job. And uh, in a couple of weeks, Mr. Newell, Mr. Jason Newell, by the way, you were, I think, I think you were preaching here uh, the, the second time we ever showed up. And I thought, ah, I like that guy. Uh, uh, Jason gets to preach uh, in, in, in a couple of weeks, and Megan, his wife, serves us really diligently and faithfully on staff with the gift of administration. There's all, just all sorts of people that contribute to the life, uh, to, to, to the life of the church. Um, this morning, I get to talk a little bit about that. Uh, you see, this morning, we're going to look at the lives and the work of Paul, but we're going to look at a unique couple that was vital to the success of Paul's ministry. They were also vital to the formation of the early church, and it's, it's actually probably not too much of a stretch uh, to say that they were vital to ensuring that you and I are here today. Uh, a husband and a wife named Priscilla and Aquila. Your, your namesake, Sil. <clears throat> but before we do that, I want to go back, I want to go back and reground us in something that Nick preached uh, just a few weeks ago. It was so, so vital and so, so important. And it's really important for us to hear that today before I talk about what I'm going to talk about or else we might miss some key, we might miss some key things. A few weeks back, Nick talked about our primary vocation, our primary calling, that being that we are called to be with our Creator. He created us as men and women in his image for the purpose of relationship with him. That primary vocation and calling is this relational connection. As image bearers in relationship with God, we are called to enjoy him and reflect him to all of the creation. One of the ways through the centuries that new Christians were taught theology when when, when they were coming into the church uh, was something called a catechism. Now, One of those in the larger Protestant tradition, of which we're a part of that larger Protestant tradition, is something called the Westminster Catechism. The very first thing, the very first thing 
this document teaches new Christians is to, in a sense, answer this question. This is the very first question for grounding us in correct theology and thought according to the Westminster Catechism. The question is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of humanity? What's the primary purpose? Where are we going? What's this all about? The answer is our primary calling. The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I like that. Not only to glorify God, but to enjoy him forever. After that primary calling, we have a secondary vocation. The way we image God by the myriad of ways we work to fill the earth and order it and cultivate it, make it produce life. How we love and serve one another. This work happens in our families, it happens in our churches, and it happens in the marketplace. My goal this morning, my central kind of idea and thesis here, is I want to broaden our understanding of what work is. And for us to see that within our work, there is a unique and a special opportunity only open to the sons and the daughters of God. And I'm hoping that you step into it. This is an important point, church. Listen, today, today you will hear people say things like this. We are all God's children. I'm here to tell you that that's actually not fully correct. That's not a biblical idea. Human beings are all deeply, deeply loved. From the moment of conception, we are persons created in his image with immense worth, incredible dignity, and with immense potential and growing ability. But the scriptures tell us in John 1, yet to all who received him, all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, in Jesus, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. It is a right that is given to us by Jesus himself to a humanity that God deeply loves and created. But we become sons and daughters through Christ in our union with him. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's an important distinction. Christ, Christ in us, led by the Spirit, we are the sons and the daughters of God. That's a unique and a very special position that Jesus has made available to everyone. It's available to all. That's the good news of the kingdom. The way is open. Jesus has made it open. But people need to respond to that invitation. They need to repent, to turn around, to come home, come into the house of God, the house that has the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts, the blood that takes away the sins of the world, to come in and be adopted into the family. And there is a unique privilege in this house. It's something only open to the family. One of the unique ways that we live from our primary calling, our relationship, and we live into our secondary vocation, the ordering, the cultivating, the producing life, is to respond to these words spoken by Jesus over 2,000 years ago, and he comes and he speaks them to us again this morning. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And this special privilege, this special work, works its way out in our families, through our churches, and into our daily jobs. Your life, your work, your ministry, and your actual job, the thing that you get paid for, are all meant to serve in some way the mission of God in the earth. Your primary calling says that you're a daughter or a son of God, and God's got a family business. You're in it. It's critical to get this part. God did not create us to work for him. <laughs> As if, like, he was sick and tired of doing certain things and had kids. To, you know, it's like, I don't want to take the garbage out. I, I can't wait to have kids. To, to... Yes, God's not like that. He didn't create us because he was tired. Right? That's just not, that's just not him. He did not create us to work for him. God is a worker. He is a builder. He's a cultivator, a creator, a helper, inventor, a servant, a shaper, and a communicator. So are we. We are imaged like him. We have the same opportunity to step into all of those things until the earth is filled with the knowledge of God and more and more people know their intended chief aim or purpose that they would glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen? Two people who knew this really, really well were the wife and husband duo of Priscilla and Aquila. Disciples and leaders in the early church. You know, some of you may know who they are, some of you may not. So let me give you a little bit of context on who they are. They're Jewish believers in Jesus. They were people who had to endure racial injustice. They, along with all of the Jews, had been kicked out of Rome by an anti-Semitic decree from Emperor Claudius. So they were refugees who moved to the next largest city from Rome, which was Corinth. They were business owners and tradespeople. They were in the business of making first century leather tents. By the way, tents were often purchased by Roman military. They were people who were more concerned about making Jesus famous than themselves. They knew how to use their skills, their business, their connections, their money, and their ability to teach to, to teach to further the mission in the kingdom of God. Paul literally says about them in Romans that Priscilla and Aquila stuck their own necks out to save his life and that all the Gentile churches thanked them. All the Gentile churches thanked them. We don't know a whole heck of a lot about them uh, outside of these, these handful of verses that, that we have because they did what countless saints have done through the centuries quietly served and loved Jesus without building a name for themselves. We first came across this entrepreneurial pastoral couple in the book of Acts chapter 18. I'm going to pick up in verse 1, and then we're going to jump around a little bit and look at how they intersect with Paul's, Paul's ministry. Uh, chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila. This is the husband a native of Pontus, which, by the way, is modern-day northern uh, Turkey. Recent, they had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, 
because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went, he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Pause. They had a job. They made tents. They were tradespeople. They owned a business. On pause. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks when Silas and Timothy, a couple of people we've probably heard, heard of before, arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Messiah, the, the, that Christ was Jesus, the Messiah was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled Paul, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I'm innocent. From now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. You're not going to listen to me, I'm going to go talk to them. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, a Gentile. His house was next door to the synagogue. And so he's like, fine, I'm going to leave. And he just goes across the street. Uh, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And Priscilla and Aquila were there too. Here we see through the work and the action of Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, and others, the formation of the church in Corinth. First and Second Corinthians, you know, those two books in the, Old, in the New Testament? It's Old Testament. They're not in the Old Testament. It's the New Testament. Sounds familiar, right? The formation, for, the formation of the church, this is, where this, this is where this comes from. We're going to jump down to verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, who does he take? Priscilla and Aquila. Verse 19. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them, Priscilla and Aquila, there. He left them there in Ephesus. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, you know, I'm going to return here to Ephesus if God wills it. And he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul has his sights on returning to visit the church in Jerusalem and his, church, his home church in Antioch. And he leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus to continue their work as tent makers and serving and strengthening the church. We pick back up in verse 24, the same chapter. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Though he knew only the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they privately, they took him aside, probably invited him to their house, and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Phenomenal. 
Apollos is a highly educated Ivy League scholar who was the president of the debate team and was invited regularly to do talks at Google. (laughs) Not really. But he was a big deal. He was really well educated. He came from Alexandria, the center of learned thought uh, in, 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 in that day. And they pull him aside and from their deep experience and love of Jesus and understanding of the Holy Spirit, correct his thinking and sharpen his teaching. A few verses later, we see that Apollos, having been instructed and encouraged by this amazing couple, is sent by the church in Ephesus to Corinth, where he ends up really strengthening the church and fortifying the name of Jesus by building on the work of Paul and the others there. In the meantime, Paul begins making his way back to Ephesus, and we find that Paul comes back to Ephesus where he works and he teaches for over two years. His work and ministry in Ephesus is extremely successful. The scriptures tell us that after these two years, all of Asia had heard about Jesus. Sometime during these two plus years, or maybe at the same time when Paul leaves Ephesus, most scholars believe that our power couple moved back to Rome as Paul writes to the church in Rome and tells them to please say hello to Priscilla and Aquila for him. Priscilla and Aquila, two disciples who deeply understood the special work of the family business. I want to look at how their lives show that mission should flow through all of the work that we're called to. Mission through all of your work. You might be wondering, okay, well, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is that there's layers of our work. This chart was extremely helpful to me when I came, when I came across it. It, is, uh, it, is, it, is, it was put together by Dallas Willard. And it talks about the different layers of our work. What you're going to see here at the smallest circle, the top of this chart, the smallest thing is our job. This is the thing that you and I get paid to do. It's the smallest aspect of our life. It's, 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 it's one of the things that's within the totality of work, but you can automatically see why some people have a problem. Just like John Markey talked about last week, some people think their job is their life. Oh, brothers, your, your life is a lot more than your job. There's a lot more to it. The next circle for the believers are, are jobs that sit within is our ministry. This is the special assignment and work that God has ordained for you to do. Your job will be impacted by the way that you're wired and the way that you're gifted. There will be some type of congruence and connection because of who you are as a person. There is a ministry, a special thing God has for you to do in the earth. And you also have a job. The next thing down is our work. Work is much bigger than what we just get paid for or what we do within the context of our ministry. A special shout out goes to all of the parents that raise kids. That is work, is it not? It is well, it's, it's amazing work, but it's work. It doesn't fit within, I, I guess you could maybe connect some of it to the ministry, but it's like changing diapers and feeding and like all sorts of things. There's all sorts of things all of us do all the time that is work, that's bigger, that encompasses more of our life than our ministry, and our ministry encompasses more than our jobs. See, see how that works? And under all of it is our primary vocation the relationship that we have, the life that God has given to you. From your life, you bring your life into your work, into your ministry, and into your job. 
Someone once said, how do you get uh, Christ in the boardroom? And the answer is, you ask a Christian to come in the boardroom and sit down. Right? We bring ourselves. But if we actually don't understand this, we fall into the world's dichotomies of work is over here and ministry is over there and my life's over here. No, no, no. We're an integrated people, fully and completely integrated. We have a life. We have work that sits within our life. Our work, uh, within our work is our, our calling, our ministry, and within our ministry are the things you get paid to do. And it's going to be slightly different for all of us. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay. For the sake of time this morning, I want to talk about the top two circles for how our ministry and jobs both serve the special work of God's people and what we're called to do. Let's look at, let's look at our jobs first. Remember, the job is what you get paid to do. As believers, our jobs serve the mission of God in a lot of different ways, but I'm just going to look at two. I'm just going to look at, just going to look at two. The first is that it can position us to share Jesus with those who don't yet know him. A uh, little side note, a uh, little side note. You're going to find that this is true even for those of you who work in nonprofits or so-called Christian organizations. Because there are people in those organizations who don't really know Jesus. And there are going to be people that you cross paths with, vendors, different people, where you get to reflect Christ to them as well. So you don't, you don't get a pass on this if you work at a Christian nonprofit. Um, it's, this is true for all of us. Now, we don't have a primary story of Priscilla and Aquila's job, specifically creating a story where they share the gospel. We don't have that recorded. However, it's not a far leap to see that their work, crafting and selling tents, put them in close contact with Gentiles. This is important because Paul was a Jew, and he would come into a town like Corinth, and he would go to the Jewish synagogue among his own Jewish bubble. <laughs> he would go and he would share the gospel with, with, with the Jews. However, we're told in Acts 18 that Paul experienced pushback from the Jews and he decided to go to the Gentiles. He went across the street from the synagogue and he was invited into the house of a God-fearing Gentile. Luke tells us that, quote, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. These Corinthians would largely be Gentiles. Paul's continued exposure to the Gentiles in Corinth would obviously be from some word of mouth, hearing, have you heard about this guy? You've already heard him talking. But early on, I guarantee it would have been through the practical, relational connections that came through the work that he did. And that work was made possible by Priscilla and Aquila making tents. I remember when a friend of mine, a college, my, my college pastor, uh, his name is Jeff Hamilton, he moved from Nashville to California to plant a church about 20 years ago. And when he first got here, he started working in a Starbucks in Irvine. Uh, God had led him and his wife to plant a church in Irvine, and he strategically chose to work in a city uh, that had a relational job to make connections. He made those connections, and there were a handful of people that ended up uh, ended up joining him at, at his church and a couple of people who came to faith on that journey right off the bat early, early on. It, it, he chose a strategic position. That work of serving coffee positioned him for, for, for the true work, the special work of the kingdom. It's the same thing, Neil, Neil with, your, with CrossFit, man, that, and, and coming to a close and coming, coming to a season. 
Through that gym, many people came to faith in Jesus. It served a larger purpose than the job, although the job is important. But there's a special work for us who are the sons and daughters of God. Now, you might not be a church planter or a pastor, but that doesn't mean personal witness at your job is no less important for you. I've shared this story before. I actually shared it the very first time I preached here, so I'll share it again. My first job out of art school, uh, my first job out of art school was I was a graphic designer in the Christian music industry in Nash Vegas. That's what we called it. <laughs> Nashville for the uninitiated. I had graduated, I had, I, you know, I was 20 years old. I graduated the top of my class. I had job offers the day I graduated that I turned down to follow Jesus to Nashville. I had really kind of come to faith. The lights went on for me in college. And I had big plans. I was going to go to New York, Boston, Chicago. I was going to get in the ad industry, start climbing the hill. Yeah. And a friend of mine said, hey, have you ever thought about moving to Nashville? I was like, Nashville? What's a move to Nashville? Anyway, the God radically gets a hold of me and says, go to Nashville. I decide I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to go to Nashville. I was really excited. I, I was like, I think God's telling me that I'm supposed to go to Nashville. And God was extremely kind, extremely Faithful opened up a door for me. I ended up working in the Christian music industry as a graphic designer, and there weren't many of those jobs. Uh, God was really kind and really faithful to me. But underneath all of that sincerity, there was a quiet arrogance. I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I was professionally pretty darn good at what I, at what I did, and, and uh, I, was, uh, I, was, I was fairly, um, I don't know, what do you, what do you say, entitled. <laughs> I thought, man, I can't wait to start designing CD packaging and orchestrating my first photo shoot with the bands. It's going to be so awesome. Remember, I'm 20. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And four months in, I'm, I'm designing coupons. <laughs> Not exactly what I had in mind. Like, I'm designing the equivalent of 99-cent banana signs in a, in, a, in, a, in a bookstore, you know? Like, what happened to all of my glamorous photo shoots? They weren't happening. I had a terrible attitude. I had a terrible attitude. I was, I was, not, I was not happy. Uh, with my church, the church that I was a part of, there was a short-term mission trip to, to Uganda and to Kenya that I went on. And man, God met me on that trip. I went on that trip and uh, blew me out of the water and started a stirring in me towards a calling. And I just remember coming back from that trip and I was just I was different. I really was different. It was about two weeks after I got back, my, my manager's boss, the, the head honcho of the department, calls me into his office, and he says, hey, uh, Sean, listen, man, anytime you want to take a trip like that, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> because you've done like a 180-degree turn. Like, your attitude is better. Your work is better. Like, I, I, I got to tell you, that trip saved your job. We were seriously talking about getting rid of you. <laughs> and that hit me like a ton of bricks. Not the fear of losing my job. Not the fear of losing my job. That's not what hit me. What hit me was my manager was a Jewish woman who didn't know Jesus. I was not there to build my freaking portfolio. I was there to share Christ. I was there to be a witness, to do my job well, and to love the people that I worked with. And God convicted me and healed me through that conviction. 
It's the same for all of us. There is a special job in the job that you have that is only reserved for you as a son or a daughter of God. You're the, you're the, you're the adult in the room. The second way that our jobs serve the mission of God is producing financial provision that propels the mission. I'm pretty sure that Priscilla and Aquila didn't need Paul's professional help. (laughs) All indications are that they had a business and they saw an opportunity to help the mission of God through allowing Paul to join them. This enabled Paul to work with his hands to provide for himself and also to give to the needy. Paul says in Acts 20, when he's leaving the Ephesian church, quote, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Not only this, but the work that Priscilla and Aquila did enabled them to be generous and hospitable. Everywhere that this couple went, the church met in their home. And they provided a place for Paul to stay and to live. That's how the church was enabled to be started, was through their generosity, their stability, their their commitment, their commitment to the mission of God made room for Paul's gifting. It made room for the planting of the Corinthian church. It ended up strengthening and stabilizing the church in Ephesus. Every church is dependent, absolutely dependent, on stable, faithful, serving, giving men and women who value the work of God and provide for it through their generosity. That's how this gets done. This week, I had lunch with an old friend of mine. His name is Yusuf. And I have mentioned these guys before. I, I'm going to mention them again. They're worth mentioning. Uh, Yusuf and his wife, Myrna, uh, they started a ministry called North Orange County Young Lives. They rally churches to mentor, support, provide for, and love on teenage moms. They're, they're, they're awesome. They are amazing people. They've seen hundreds of girls now come through their ministry. Many of them have come to Jesus. Many of them have kept their kids, graduated high school. Some of them gone on to college. Some of these girls have come back into as mentors to the other girls. They're just incredibly fruitful, incredibly fruitful people. So anyway, I had lunch with Aquila, I mean Yusuf, and I asked him about how he sees his work and what work means to him. And he said to me, he said, Sean, I see this job as God's provision for this ministry and for my family, but I am able to do what I do so that it enables Myrna to do what she does. I'm blessed to be able to ensure that the girls have what they need. My family has what they need, and I'm able to give to other ministries. Right on, Yusuf, right on. When we speak about work, we're not just talking about our jobs, though. If you remember the chart, you don't need to show it again, but if you remember the chart, we are also called creatively into a specific ministry that serves the mission. All of us are. The work of ministry is also in service of mission. I'm sure Priscilla and Aquila had all sorts of gifts and made all sorts of contributions to the church, but one, uh, but one act of work that is called out for us is very specifically is that they pulled Apollos aside and taught him the way of God more accurately. Priscilla and Aquila were not just tent makers by trade. That was their job. They were, as Paul called them, fellow workers in Christ. They were mentors and they exhibited the ability to teach. 
they taught a master teacher the way of God more accurately. They encouraged Apollos and were undoubtedly a part of the sending party to commend Apollos to the Corinthian church so that he would be warmly welcomed. Each of us are given gifts within the body of Christ to employ that help to define the ministry of work God has for each of us. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 8 through 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What gifts has God given to you? What ministry has he assigned to you? If you don't know, it's a good thing to ask God about it. To talk to other people about what they see in you. Talk, talk to Nick, talk to myself, talk to a small group leader, talk to a mentor, talk to people who know you and ask them what, what, what they see in you. It can be hard to see ourselves. But the work is not just in operating in your spiritual gifts through singular contributions, although that's extremely important. There are some, and there are some here, that are called to be a gift to the church by serving one of the offices in the church. See, there are individual gifts and there are actual offices within the context of the church. They're mentioned in Ephesians chapter four. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to human beings, to men. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He has given gifts to the church, not just individual contributions, but offices for people to step into, for, 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 for people to step into those things. We at Mercy Commons are a part of a church planting movement. We have the DNA and the heritage of being a small reproducing church. That is our heritage. We believe the best way to fulfill the Great Commission is to plant churches. We need apostles who are willing to go and start something new. As Terry Virgo reminded us a couple of weeks ago, the foundation of the church is built on the apostles and the prophets, not evangelists and not pastors and teachers. If it's built on evangelists, you won't have the commitment to the one another's and the consistency that you need. If it's built on pastors and teachers, no one will want to leave. 
We need the going of the apostles. We need the stirring of the pot, the energy and the movement forward that, that they bring. We've come through a season of COVID, brothers and sisters, a season sheltering in place, although no one ever wants to hear that word again, there's that phrase again, I'm sure. A season of working from home, a season where it was a, perhaps appropriate for a time to look inward, but we have moved on and it's time once again to lift our eyes, to look outward, to ask God what's next for life groups to multiply, to make room for others. For us to get acquainted again with gospel goodbyes, something that we've talked a lot about. Where we, are, where, where we or our friends hear the call of God, not the siren song of greener grass, but the call of God to go, to do, to join him in his work. Priscilla and Aquila picked up and moved in support of the mission of God. Brothers, let me speak to you for a moment. Are you called to plant a church? Maybe you've never thought of that before. Maybe you're a young person here and you've never thought of that before either. But as I'm saying it, you're thinking, maybe, maybe I could do that. Maybe that's worthwhile to give my life to. Like, that sounds really important. Maybe it is. Maybe it is something you could do. For those of you who don't know, we believe there are some who are called to be apostles to go, to plant, start something new, extend the ministry, go to a specific people, take the gospel, go. But we also believe in the ministry of elders who provide oversight, care, and instruction for the local community. Shepherds for the flock. I'm here to tell you, brothers, your job, the thing you're paid for doesn't have, to, doesn't have to be a full-time pastor for you to do that. It's not easy. I am, I am someone who, who does this. It's not easy. But for some of you, God may be calling you to aspire to the office of an elder, to a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm a pastor. But also have a full-time job. That's my story. My job gives me the flexibility to make it possible for me to do this but it does limit my capacity in some very real ways, especially while we have younger kids. I can't teach as often as Nick, not able to be as available either. Val and I do lead a life group. We help with strategic planning, praying for the community involved. It's possible. You can do it. You can step in. There is grace for it. It is not easy, but it is worthwhile. Paul tells Timothy, if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. My questions, brothers, is, is that you? Is that you? Brothers and sisters, some of you are prophets. Called to exhort the church and speak the mysteries of God for the edification of his body, to provide a heavenly spiritual direction and support to the church. And to us as elders, we need you. My question is that you? Is that you? Brothers and sisters, some of you are evangelists. There is a gift on your life that when you ask people if they want to know more about Jesus, they tend to say yes. Help us reach out. Make inroads. 
throw parties that the rest of us can join in on and love on your friends. Take us with you when you share about Christ. Brothers and sisters, some of you are teachers. You can lead discussions. You can expound on the scriptures. You help people understand the things of God with greater accuracy. Does that sound familiar? Maybe you love teens. Maybe you love working with kids. Boy, could we use that help. What a, what a privilege, though. What a privilege. And it could be a calling. It could be a calling. Band, you guys can join me back up here. Sisters, the same way I spoke to the brothers, I want to speak directly to you. Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned seven times in the New Testament. Seven times. Five out of those seven times, Priscilla is mentioned first. This was likely due to her prominence and effectiveness. I don't think Aquila was in the least bit offended or insecure. I bet he was the first one to brag about his wife. You see, while we are a community that believes the office of overseer and elder is, as Paul seems to indicate, an office for men to fulfill, that does not mean we do not need you to step up, to lead in different ways, to bring your passion, your commitment, your entrepreneurial spirit. We need you to start ministries, bring teaching gifts, make connections, fund ministries, build bridges, Don't be afraid to pull an apostle aside and privately correct him. We need you. We need Phoebe's in the church. For those of you who don't know, Phoebe was another prominent woman in the early church. A deacon in the church south of Corinth. She knew Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila. She carried the letter of Romans to the Roman church and was likely the first person to read it to the church. Think about that. This is Paul's theological masterpiece. It's so rich. I've been reading it again lately. It's just, oh, so good. Phoebe was the first one to read it to the church. She was a patron of the church. She funded the church and funded Paul's ministry. We need Phoebe's, sisters. My question, is it you? Is that you? Brothers and sisters, you have a ministry and that ministry is a part of your work. Our work is not our life. But our life is not complete without our work. As Nick mentioned, and the call to worship, 1 Peter 2.9 talks about the family business. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Listen, you hear that word, you hear that word like you're a holy nation. You're like, you don't know what I did this week. I don't care. You're in Christ. Holiness and all this has more to do with his grip than ours. You are a chosen people. I think there's somebody here that needs to hear that. 
there's a tug on your heart, it's because God is speaking to you. He's reminding you, I know you. And I love you. And I choose you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. (laughs) That you and I may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness, out of futility, out of death, out of uh, uselessness, into his wonderful light and purpose and life and joy. It is not easy, but it is good. May we all allow our work ministry and our jobs to glorify God, that more people everywhere might get to enjoy him forever. Amen. One of the the reasons we have different men and women preach is one of the things we want to do is make sure that we are living what we're preaching. Sean, you live this message. And I thank you for reminding us of that. As God calls us deeper and higher, there, is, uh, there are a couple questions I want to pose to you from what Sean said. I think it might be people in this congregation that are so overwhelmed by the little circle that all of these bigger questions seem like I can't. Are you kidding? Are you serious right now? And I, I want to pray, um, and there's going to be people on my left to your right, that if you're specifically in that space where not a whole lot of what Sean was preaching you can actually even think about because of the situation that you're in, I feel like God is wanting to call you deeper and higher just to lift your gaze and be able to see that you've been created for so much more than that. What I want us to do, though, as we do that is the reason that we have a greater call and purpose is because we are sons and daughters of the living God. And the reason that we are sons and daughters of the living God is because we are men and women that have accepted the sacrifice of grace. Jesus, we come before you this morning grateful that we were a people that had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Not only have we received mercy, but we have been given just a very, very significant call to be those that are mercy bringers to others. Jesus, we want to revel in the mercy of God. We want to proclaim the mercy of God. We want to live in a way that demonstrates the mercy of God and perform acts of kindness for the common good. We want to do that not to earn your affection and love because we are grateful recipients of that. We want to do that because it is the only thing that lasts. Thank you for our work. Thank you for our vocation. Lift our eyes so that we can see how to bring greater glory to the one that deserves all glory. 
Why don't you stand with me as we sing? As we sing this last song, I just want to encourage you. Um, there are those on my left to your right. If you're feeling specifically um, in an area of just, man, God, I'm overwhelmed. I can't see beyond that little circle. I need your help to lift my eyes. We would love to pray for you. For the rest of us, if there's anything else you'd love to receive prayer for, our team is here ready. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.